Believe in yourself, reach out for your dreams. Don't surrender, there is more than it seems. Hold on and fight, follow your heart. This is your way, love is what you make of it. Hi, this is Dr. Joe Luciani, along with my daughter and co-host, Lauren Simonian, welcoming you to another session of self-coaching, where real-life emotional struggle, whether it's depression, anxiety, relationship conflict, losing weight, or simply handling life's challenges are all addressed, teaching you to become your own best coach. Well, hello, Lauren. Hi, Dad. Welcome back. Thank you very much. You know, I was thinking about our podcasts, and it occurred to me that you are a millennial, and I am a baby boomer, <laughs> right? I suppose. You would I think I'm I'm considered an elder millennial. Yeah, but you would think we would have more contrary points of view. And yet we seem to agree on most things, right? I think that we do agree on most things. Well, hmm. I don't get as worked up about my iPhone updates as you do. So there's a <laughs> stark difference. Well, that's because millennials and phones, it's like it's part of your DNA. Yeah, it's an extension of our hands. Yeah, when I was young, the uh, the phones that we had, we we, had, we shared a a line with uh, some other person. It was uh, I forget what they used to call it, but we had one phone in the house. Uh, my family lived upstairs, and my cousin and her family lived downstairs. And the phone was in the downstairs house. And when you went to make a call, if this other person, the stranger, or was on the phone, you'd have to hang up and wait till that person got off the phone. I forget what it was called. A party line, oh. that's what it was called. See, so you you have your your iPhones, and I grew up with a party line dial telephone. Did you know you used to dial telephones? Yeah, we dialed telephones when I was a kid. Okay, so let me ask you the question of the day. When you when you make a call on an iPhone, do you say I'm going to dial it? What what do you say? I'm gonna dial it. No, you just say I'm going to call. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> gonna, dial the number. Um, I, yeah, I, someone might say dial the number, or is that now obsolete? I guess I haven't heard that term in a while, but I know like grandma used to have the dial where you had to turn it around the, the Yeah, yeah. Especially, and you hated people that had high digit numbers. You'd have to go all the way to nine and it would go to and then nine, nine. It's crazy. <laughs> all right. All right. Uh, so here we go on and on and on and on. Uh, so anyway, it's nice. It's nice to be with you again. And I wanted to just introduce today's topic, which I think is kind of an interesting topic. It's 15 neurotic ways that we screw up our lives. Hmm. What do you think? Good topic? <laughs> Sounds like great advice. Here's some ways to screw up your life. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I, well, you know what? Maybe I read it. <laughs> no, wrong. I think that is the title. It's not, but it's not 15 ways to screw <laughs> up your life. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, my gosh. So let's move on. We have the name caller. Any idea what that is? I guess somebody who calls themselves names, like a critical person. Yes, very good. I'm such a loser. Oh my God, I can't stand. I'm such an idiot. What you're doing is you're really putting yourself down, and and you're you're really giving yourself an excuse from life. 
because let's say if I'm such an idiot, then I don't have to be responsible for passing a course at school, uh, getting my bills out on time. It's, it's just a handy way of excusing your way from life. Uh, the person that's trying to lose weight, oh, I'm such a jerk. I can't even follow a simple regime or a simple diet. So that gives you that kind of sidestep to put away the uh, the notion that you you really could be doing these things. Let's see if we can incorporate every one of these 15 into one All sentence right, as we go idiot. along. Sorry, I'm not supposed to call you an idiot. That would be calling yourself an idiot. Well, not only that, but you don't you you never call that's your father true, that's an true. idiot. I take it back. Okay. So I know I, I know you did it in jest. So your turn. Uh, okay. So next up is worrying or what ifing, which I think a lot of people do. I do that a lot. So it's asking yourself like, mm. what if I fail, or what if I commit to this and then I can't do it. So it's kind of like worrying as an attempt to eliminate doubt. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, we did a, or I, I think I did before you joined me, so graciously joined me as a co-host. You know, there was a time before you, I don't know if you know that. <laughs> yeah. And, and it was a lonely <laughs> podcast. I was just me and my microphone. And, and then you came in and just kind of lit up the airwaves. But uh, there was a time before you came that I did a whole episode on just worrying. So if anyone's interested in going in depth to this, we, we do have a, such a podcast on worry. But worrying is, as I see it, from a psychological standpoint, it's, it's a manifestation of insecurity. We, we don't worry about things going right, like, gee, I sure hope I don't win the lottery. You know, we don't worry, we don't what if about things going right, we worry about things going wrong. So let me ask you, why do you why do you think we want to know what might go wrong in the future? Uh, I think it just makes us feel more in control. Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. and sometimes it's funny, like, I notice with myself, and I think this is just true for everyone, like, sometimes you just want to know what's going to happen, even if it's not a positive thing, like it's it's easier to know what will happen even if it's bad, then to not know at all. So I think people just like having that control. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, it's but it, it's okay to like having control, but when when it becomes more compulsive, but but with worrying, when when you anticipate something coming, you're you're, you're kind of wanting to either brace yourself so you can be more prepared. Uh, but sometimes worrying itself is is kind of superstitious. I've had many, many patients tell me that, you know, if I say to them, you know, we've got to work on your worrying, and they're afraid to stop. One one woman was waiting for the results of a medical test, and, and she was driving herself crazy with worrying and incessant rumination. And, and I said, well, let's talk about maybe stepping apart from these worry thoughts, these ruminations. And her reaction was, oh, then something bad's going to happen. So you see, we look at worrying as almost a, a way of, of staving off bad things. It's, it's why we knock on mm, wood, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Are you, are you worried about anything? Um, not really. No, I mean, not at the moment. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll, see if, we'll see if that changes as we go along. <laughs> How about this one? How about hostility? Oh. Yeah. You wouldn't think of hostility as as being anything but just losing your temper, but it has a controlling component to it, because 
if I start to amp up my reactivity towards someone and, and then become somewhat hostile, it pushes them away, doesn't it? So it's it's a way not only of being aggressive, but it's a way of insulating ourselves from you know maybe getting too close to someone, pushing someone away, uh, defending ourselves. What do you think about hostility? I know you've never been. Well, you know who does use life. that technique almost always is Quinty. Oh God! My doll from growing up. Oh boy, um, I, I was hoping we wouldn't bring him back. A few weeks ago, we brought Quentin Lawrence, cabbage patch doll that she grew up with, who acquired magically a voice, and he was the quintessential hostile person in our house. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. Should we invite him in or just leave him out at that? Uh, I think we could just leave it there for now. I don't. I don't want to invite yeah. any hostility in here today. Hostility is really a, a double-edged sword. Um, it pushes people away, but it, it really does tend to have a kind of deleterious effect on us. You know, it's it's kind of a poison that we take. It's it's not a, a healthy or wholesome uh, behavior to get into, and if it becomes a habit, which it can, uh, especially you see this in in relationships and in, in marriages, where hostility almost becomes you know the name of the game, and just you know these barbs are being you know just spewed back and forth. It's a terrible thing. So when you rely on hostility to defend yourself, you've really sunk down pretty it's low. It's also probably a deflection from being vulnerable. So if you're hostile, you don't have to allow your vulnerability to be seen because mm. you keep. Now, that's a good point. That's an excellent point. You're right. Uh, because the more I thump my chest, the more uh, I'm, I'm really showing you that I'm not vulnerable when, in fact, I'm perhaps overcompensating. That's a very, very good point. Have you seen that in your life? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think sometimes hostility is... It, it appears it presents when someone is feeling vulnerable it's a way to deflect mm -hmm. from it yeah yeah it repels it pushes people away and it creates insulation between you and mm -hmm. them yeah hostility okay that was that i think that was my turn so it's your okay, turn now. i will share the can'ts like i cannot hmm. do it as the next way to screw up your life <laughs> Wait, wait, you, you can't do the No, no, I, I, I can do the can't. <laughs> I can do it. Um, but yeah, so so saying that you can't or even believing that you can't is a sure fast way to screw up your life because you are um, taking power away from yourself and, and also accountability and responsibility. So when you say, I can't relax or I can't, I just can't do this right now. Um, it's not, it's usually mm. not true, but it gives yourself an excuse that is perfect because if you can't do it, then why even try? Absolutely. So it's a way of just excusing yourself. Um, you know, when you say I can't, you're just giving yourself permission to quit. I think it, low, it has a lot to do with low self-esteem, with confidence. Uh, a person is more likely to give up quickly um, the more there is insecurity, low self-esteem, low confidence. So so really, that's a manifestation of a deeper problem. The, the can't person is one who's really limiting a, a very fractured life. Yeah, and not reaching potential. Because in that 
quote, I think it's Henry Ford who says, if you think you can, or you think you can't, you are probably right. And that was a mantra for me when I was running the marathon, because there's so many moments where you have to use your mental toughness to get through it. And just remembering that it, it all kind of starts in your mind. So if you think you can do something, you'll find a way. But if you think you can't, you that that's like you're immediately going to give up. So Henry Ford. I believe huh? it was Henry Ford. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we don't want to start handing out names without <laughs> definitive uh, documentation. But I believe you're right. I don't have a very good Rolodex of uh, uh, quotes in my mind. Yeah, you do. Well, I have sure the quotes. It's just I don't accredit them all that well. Last week, I think I said the wrong name. Um, yeah. Oh. So. Do you remember what I that do. Was? I said a quote by Steve Jobs, and it was actually Mark Zuckerberg who said it. So, yes, uh, Mark called me up and um, he said, "Hey, what's up with that millennial?" <laughs> yeah. So at least, at least we we got that Good. right. Okay. Huh? Okay. My turn. Let's see. I would say one of the fifteen might be lying. Oh. Huh? Have you ever told a lie? Have I ever told a lie? You're lying. Oh, I, I didn't even get to answer. <laughs> um, yeah, I've definitely told a lie. All right. Okay. Now you're not lying. So when we lie, what are we doing? Well, we're not taking responsibility. Huh. You know, words are cheap. The liar can create universes and make you think that they exist. And it's a very devious thing to do if it becomes your modus operandi, because liars, uh, you know, they, they start to almost believe their own lies at some point. So if, if one situation doesn't suit you, you just change it and tell somebody that it's not the way it appears. Did you have your hand in the cookie jar? No, I did not. Well, what are the crumbs on your fingers? Well, I don't know what that is. You know, we, we tend to get lost in our lives. That's a great metaphor, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> isn't it always the case that one way or another, you know, these lies tend to become uprooted. And, and even if not, someone gets a sense sometimes when it's just not the truth. You ever feel that way? I feel like I can usually tell when somebody is lying. Yeah. And it, it can ruin trust easily. Just one time that somebody breaks their, your trust. It, that's all it really takes. So I lied to you about Santa. Yeah. But that was for a good reason. I, I think white lies are okay. Yeah, white lies are kind of like the greasing the skids, you know, they, they make life just flow a little more easily. Mm -hmm. And and we do that sometimes to protect those that we love. But you have to be careful even with white lies. If you're doing it in service of the other person, I think that's legitimate. But if it's in service of um, shielding yourself, I mean, that's, that's kind of a weenie thing to do. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Okay, how about your turn? Okay. My turn, I will talk about guilt or allowing yourself to feel guilty, um, like being afraid that people will be upset with you or not happy with what with what your choice was. Um, and I think guilt is a super powerful emotion and it tries to it like allows you to avoid this feeling of doing something wrong. Yeah, well, here you go. I, I would, I, I'm taking the opposite pole that you've just uh, elaborated. And I'm saying that guilt is a feeling 
that you've done something wrong. So mm. when I say I feel guilty about not going to the gym, that you know that's a feeling like gee I, I've done something wrong because I'm feeling guilty. Or if you if you in, if you feel someone is mad at you and you feel guilty, it's it's almost like you say what did I do wrong? So you know guilt to me is a very very important concept because it it can really ruin your life in many many yeah, ways yeah that's interesting and also coming off of the lying one it's interesting because i think if you have done something that warrants feeling guilty there's actually a lesson to be learned from that guilt feeling like if you mm -hmm. got caught in a lie you know of course you're going to feel guilty because that wasn't aligned with truth but I think if you can find a way to live your life and say the things you mean and do the things that are aligned with who you are, then there really shouldn't be too many opportunities to actually feel guilty. Because as long as you're doing things with good intentions, even if it happens to hurt another person, if you didn't mean to truly hurt somebody, then then mm -hmm. that guilt feeling of guilt should dissipate. Yeah, and there are people that are guilt-ridden. I mean, this is again the low self-esteem person, the insecure person, who, who who feel guilty just about everything, and and it's a it's a miserable way to live. But you know, we have to really ask when we feel guilty. We have to really inquire as to whether it is legitimate or not, because if there's insecurity and we just automatically let's say that you're you're having a discussion with someone. And they they get angry with you because you didn't say the same thing they want they wanted to hear, and you go home and you're feeling guilty because that person now is is angry with you, but you didn't do anything wrong. See, so I would say to this person, guilt is not an appropriate reaction. Confusion, curiosity, maybe, but it's not appropriate to feel guilty if you did nothing mm. wrong. Well, the person that says gee, my mother wanted me to call her and I forgot to call and I feel so guilty and she's she's probably upset. Well, you can own the fact that you forgot, but feeling guilty means you did something wrong. See, and I guess what I'm saying is that there's an active component that you willfully do something wrong, then you deserve guilt. But if it's something inadvertent, you know, you can call it something else, but I wouldn't call it guilt. Do you see that distinction? Yeah, totally. I'm just picturing the uh, last week when I was playing with my niece and she wanted to run around the house in circles for, I mean, she would have done it for hours, but I was getting exhausted. And so at, at a certain point I had to tell her, you know, one more time and then we had to stop and she got so sad. She's only two. Uh, so she got so sad when we had to stop and I immediately felt guilty and uh, started doing it again. And halfway through, I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to let go of this guilt because I'm going to like fall over soon. <laughs> but yeah, that, I, that was my experience most recently with feeling guilt, even though it wasn't actually something that I was doing wrong. Mm -hmm. so, so, so you agree with me that that guilt is an admission that we've done something wrong, right? Yeah. So you were chasing uh, Elia. Yeah. And and you you felt guilty. Well, yeah, because she's so now, cute. Let me ask I feel you... like I should be able to chase her forever, but. Okay, but tell me if guilt is the right word based on what we've been oh, discussing. Oh, no, it's not the right word. I, I see where you were going with that. <laughs> yeah. So So the next time you feel guilty, about uh, you know maybe taking that extra piece of cake that you're on your diet 
uh, did you do something wrong or was it just self-indulgent? So let's let's be careful with guilt because it diminishes us and it, it does have an effect, I believe, on, on, on the ego and our self-worth. And so I think that, you know, if you feel if you do something wrong, by all means, you deserve guilt. And, and guilt is something that shapes us. You know, I always go back and I know you do, too, to evolutionary times where all these things that make up sort of the collective human psychological experience, these have come to into play through through our own evolution. They serve us. You know, evolution is all about adaptation. So why, and I think this is an okay tangent, so why, why do you think guilt might have been important in, in terms of our evolving as a species? Can you take a, shit, a stab at that? I feel like everything when we talk about evolution has to do with survival, right? So if yep. if there was a strong enough feeling of guilt, you would likely learn not to do that thing again yeah you wouldn't club your neighbor with the club for no reason you know you wouldn't uh, steal someone's partner and run off into the jungle you know so so guilt has a a, a way of i think breaking some of our more um you know, kind of reflexive inappropriate behavior because it's almost the anticipation of guilt you know, we we, we, we kind of differentiate right from wrong. Some people, you know, are very lax in that, and they've, they've more or less uh, subdued their own kind of capacity for, for moral living. But, but I think that guilt plays a very important part because I think it, it shapes us culturally and makes us able, you know, to live from a tribal to a collective in a way that we can get along with one another. It, it puts a break on behavior that you would selfishly indulge in willy-nilly and not care about anyone mm. else. See, this is, I'm seeing it as a social component. Yeah. Is there a word for what you were describing earlier? Like if you feel what feels like guilt, but you actually haven't done anything wrong, is it a different emotion or is it just we're used to feeling guilty even though we didn't do something wrong? that that's a very important question and you know sometimes it's it's just defining what the circumstances are but but i think but i'm hearing kind of what you're getting at is that this may just come as a reflex and a lot of it is based on just past experiences and insecurities sometimes growing up uh, we tend to just have a lot of uh, fears that you know we don't really even know ourselves that much but I, but i think that let's say you feel guilty about going to the gym well, in that case, you have to really scrutinize, if I didn't do anything wrong, then what's this feeling? And, and the feeling may simply be that you're letting yourself down, and that, that feels terrible, and you're calling it guilt. And, and guilt is not an inappropriate word to use in a general sense, but it's just not accurate enough. You know, it's like Mark Twain said, the difference between the right word and the almost right word is like the difference between lightning and a lightning mm. bug. Yes. So it's it's oftentimes a close word to doing anything that we we feel shabby about, but sometimes it's an unwarranted hmm. feeling. I'm gonna pay attention to that. So that was your you were the, you you, just, you were the one that brought up guilt. Yeah, right? I so brought it up, but I don't know how I butchered it at first. You definitely clarified that for me. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so let's move on to my yeah. turn. Manipulating. Ah, manipulators. How about that? People are malleable, right? So a little lie here, a uh, little bit of coercion there. 
and uh, we could we could more or less bend people we could more or less convince people who don't want to be convinced or who don't want to be bent so manipulation is kind of a nefarious thing to do and manipulators you know they they don't tend to make wonderful friends have you ever has anyone ever tried to manipulate you yes yeah i think i i actually find because i have been sort of like a people pleaser for most of my life and so i think that those type of people are easy prey for manipulators because someone who wants to please someone will very easily do what the manipulator wants so i've been in mm -hmm. that situation a lot yeah the worst the worst kind of manipulator if you've ever been the recipient of a manipulator let's let's take for example oh come on you have to come with me you have to do this with me it's going to be so much fun and the, the person says nah, you know i'd rather not oh but you have to come come on you can come it's just going to take 10 no nah, i'd rather not oh come on come on you've got and that person is just going on and on with the manipulation and wearing the person down is that manipulation or that's just persistence i feel like ah. manipulation is a little bit more subtle well it can be uh, but whenever you twist and this is my interpretation i may be wrong but when you twist someone to your will mm. see so you're not really respecting the other like in this case where the person doesn't want to go for this whatever it is a ride or something you're not accepting that you're twisting and twisting and twisting until you get your way so yeah to me that seems like manipulation. okay yeah i i can get on board with that definition i think in my life it's happened in more uh yeah subtle less less obvious ways where you kind of realize that someone has this like plot or plan that they're using you for can, can you think can you think of where it's it's more subtle sure um yeah if they want you to go with them like on that ride let's say they might say things to coerce you instead of saying come on let's go let's go let's go they might say something to make you feel guilty or to make you feel like you need to be there or else there will be some sort of consequence mm -hmm. yeah it's but but it, it's you know it really is um you know it, for example if 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 i want to twist someone there, there are many ways that we can manipulate um, and some people are very, very good at it. You know, for, for example, take someone who is just kind of prone towards uh, histrionics, uh, you know, well, 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 well. You know, and that, that kind of pulls and tugs at someone else's strings. Uh, there, you know, there could be many ways. Hostility could be a way to coerce someone. So manipulation, you know, the vehicle of manipulation can be varied. There's no question about that. But ultimately, it has to do with uh, really not respecting another person's desire of you and wanting to just bend people to your will. And I think that's, you know, that's something that is rather uh, shabby. And, and I think that it's, it's really not nice to do. And it makes you, uh, you know, you pay prices for these things that you do that uh, are not uh, consistent with the person you need or want mm -hmm. to be. Yeah, I, I, I think I just realized also what I was trying to say, which is that the times that I've felt manipulated was when somebody else made me feel bad about my decision. So they would make it seem like they really needed me to do something when they didn't really need it. What I, what I like what you just said is it, I'd like to make a point because it's it's kind of a tangent, but it's a very important point. 
when you said someone made you feel a certain way, uh, a very, very important psychological point is that people can't make us mm -hmm. feel. We have to allow them. So we either allow people to get under our skin or we prevent it. But when you say someone made me feel, then you become a victim. See, I always I always recoil when I hear that from my patients and when you just mentioned it just as an allusion to it. Uh, but basically, keep in mind that whenever you feel someone made you feel, just flip that around. And why did I allow myself to feel that? Why did I allow that person to get under my skin and perhaps manipulate mm -hmm. me? Yeah, definitely. Whose turn is it? I, I forgot. I'm up. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so another way to screw up your life is <laughs> is to use black and white thinking so uh. yeah that all or nothing sort of thought process mm -hmm. where if you convince if you can convince yourself that something is either all black or all white then you're kind of done thinking and you can kind of have this like safety in feeling that you're in control the only problem with that mm -hmm. is like there's no room for living in the moment or seeing the truth because most of life is not black or white unless we force it to be that way which is not a comfortable place to live and this brings us to people that we loathe and these are black and white thinkers and we have another name for them opinionated people right isn't it don't you just hate opinionated people and you're awfully silent yeah i don't know if i hate opinionated people <laughs> well i'm saying is i mean it's it these are people that no matter what you say uh oh no you can't do that and you know it's it's like there's no logic behind it it's just opinion opinionated logic and you can't argue with opinionated logic because it's opinionated uh how was that movie i really you know i really enjoyed that movie you should go, nah i would never see that that's a terrible movie mm. okay yeah i've i i don't i don't maybe i don't hate these people but but i do i do have a hard time with someone who snatches away your ability to have an opinion by being a black and white thinker and, and just saying, no, no, you can't have your opinion, only mine matters. But that's that's just one aspect of black and white thinking. I think you were talking more about someone who sees the world in kind of black and white terms, you know, no wiggle room in the middle, no gray. Yeah, but it makes sense what you're saying too. I, um, someone who's opinionated to that degree is like very much identified with their ego. And so if, in, in order to preserve their identity, they have to have strong uh, feelings. Mm. So like, it, you know, if I guess what I'm saying is like, if somebody feels as though they are identified with their thoughts, then they have to protect them. And that's where that yeah. opinionated black and white thinking comes into play. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think you're right. I think that someone, someone who is fragile ego wise, um, they may compensate by by being just so entrenched in their opinions that it makes them feel kind of strong that they can dismiss mm -hmm. you at will, no matter what you yeah, say. Right. <laughs> you're not you're not a black and white thinker. Most of life is in between the extremes, in in between the polar opposites. Most of life is is in that gray area. 
makes absolutely no sense what I'm saying, but it I'm going to go on. It does make sense. I think it does make sense because if you're living in the present moment, you're not attaching to any sort of thought anyway. So in order to have black or white thinking, you're you're really attaching to an idea and putting all your effort and energy into believing things are one way. And so, you know, you can't actually be receptive for what's really happening or what's really unfolding because you're so associated with what you want to see. So you're almost like forcing yourself to create that situation so that you feel safe mm. as opposed to seeing what's real and what's happening in the moment. Mm. Namaste. Yeah, I... I don't know why I was thinking that, but I think I, I had met, I think I had said it right before, which is why you probably were thinking it. Oh, I see. <laughs> I was manipulating you. You were the trigger. <laughs> okay, up. my turn. My turn. How about mountain out of molehill generalizing? You ever hear of mountain out of making a mountain out of molehill? I don't know if millennials yeah, I know, know it. That I term. know it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, and people that, you know, make mountains out of molehills, you know, they're generalizing in an attempt to pair, prepare for the worst. So if if I feel something is going to be catastrophic and and I anticipate it, then, you know, I'm not going to be unprepared. So if, if I'm going for a, a dental procedure and and I say, oh, my God, uh, I can't I can't I can't live with this. I have to go have uh, a tooth cleaned. Uh, this is terrible. You know, it's almost like you're you know, you, you build it up, build it up, build it up because you don't want to be caught off guard. So, you know, you, you're kind of uh, exaggerating. And sometimes I guess that that holds you back from getting that tooth cleaned. So mountain out of molehill people, they're the, the hand ringers of life, right? They're the ones that tend to either sometimes not have that tooth cleaned out of fear or go in a sense that, you know, they're expecting this to be so bad. And, and I, why do you think we do that? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not hitting the nail on the head here, but why do you think we, we make mountains out of molehills instead of seeing a problem with, with some degree of objectivity? Why do we exaggerate it? I think it's our way of trying to find safety in our mind. And unfortunately, I think that the human brain, when we start to imagine what will happen, it tends to create these catastrophic thoughts um, because we are able, like we have the ability to use our imagination as humans. And unfortunately, there are a thousand ways that something could go wrong. And we have that negativity bias that we've talked about in the past, where we kind of tend to think more negative than positive, unless we're very actively uh, monitoring our thoughts. But I do think that people like to try and imagine the worst that could happen so that they could then be able to be ready for it mm. but the, th the truth is that almost always the reality is nowhere near as bad as the worst that can happen so we wind up holding ourselves back with these thoughts or these worries yeah okay uh, could you just 
go back a little bit and and talk a little bit more about I know we, we spent some time in a previous podcast, but I think it's worth reiterating the negative bias. Can you talk a little bit about sure. that again? Yeah, through evolution, our brains have developed in a certain way with certain pathways and and um, habits. And so we are actually programmed to notice the negative and to have more negative thinking than we are to notice or create positive thinking. And so the reason for that is is survival. Obviously, we, we had to be aware of the negative in order to survive. But nowadays, that's not so much the case. So we actually have to be active participants in our thinking to make sure that we're not leaning towards the negative, that we're actually reframing and allowing ourselves to have a more positive outlook. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's an important point. So let's see. Mm. I have no idea whose turn I think it it's is. My turn. Is it yours? Yeah, it's my turn because the next one that I have for a way to screw up your life is <laughs> I just love this title so much. <laughs> There's so much irony in it. Um, okay, so if you want to screw up your life, you should start doubting yourself. <laughs> Um, uh, yeah. So <laughs> when you're, when you doubt yourself, you start to like postpone and avoid certain things. It's a way to protect yourself against this perceived danger. So if you were asking yourself like, oh, well, maybe I, maybe I shouldn't call her. Maybe, maybe she's upset with me and, and I shouldn't go ahead and make that call right now. Um, just having those doubts and those thoughts, um, they, they start to uh, make you, I guess, insulate yourself a little bit. Doubts are kind of creating this circuit of worry in your mind that holds you back. And yeah, mm. I don't yeah, I guess it could protect you from action. You know, it's it's fear driven yeah. and uh, it, it puts you in an ambivalent state. So uh, is, is that correct that most doubt is kind of a precursor to action that that when we're in a doubting mind, we're, we're more or less anticipating what we're going to do or fearing what we're going to do, but we're not mm -hmm. doing it. Is, is it the precursor to doing something? I'd say so. I know last week we talked a lot about procrastination, and I think that doubt is one of the things that makes people procrastinate. They don't they don't think that they are worthy or ready to move forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess I guess it low self trust mm -hmm. too. If if you can't trust your opinions, and remember last week we were talking about you know vanilla chocolate and making decisions and all that stuff, and and I guess with low self-trust, how do you know that that you're right? How do you know that what decision you make or what you're going to do is correct? So you, you're never really convinced of anything with because, you know, no matter what you do, there's, you know, the the opposite point of view that, well, yes, yes, it'll work. And then maybe it won't work. You know, so see, maybe all these are connected, aren't they? They might be. Hmm. Yeah. You know what? Maybe maybe there aren't 15 ways to screw up your <laughs> maybe life. You just, maybe there's only one or two. Screw up your life in one fail swoop. <laughs> <laughs> How to screw up your life in one fell swoop by Lauren Simonian. That's a that's a as your next I think book. So. Uh, so yes, but worrying can't help me get the guilt from lying and manipulating and black and white thinking that's turning my mountains into molehills with all this doubt. Wow. How about Love that? It. So, well, wait, was that your turn or my turn? 
Oh, Dax, that was your yeah. turn. Okay. So let's add to this one more way. It's going to feel like. <laughs> you should have really yeah, thought this, this through. <laughs> <laughs> this one will really screw up your life. Hey, forget hey, all the others. Attention. Are you ready? Just forget all the others. Fatalistic thinking, doom and gloom mm. thinking. Mm. See, and you might say, well, let's mountain out of molehill thinking. Ah, au contraire. It is different in that at least you're trying to prepare and defend yourself from adversity with mountain out of molehill thinking. But with fatalistic thinking, you've already concluded the worst. So you throw your hands up and you're a victim. You're powerless. You're impotent. So fatalistic thinking, doom and gloom thinking is when you've already abandoned the ship. See, with mountain out of molehill generalizing, you're, you're still grappling with things. Uh, but with uh, fatalistic thinking, you are a Debbie Downer. <laughs> yeah. Now, fatalistic thinking, that, that'll screw up your life. Uh, I'll never get into school. I'll never get a job. Um, this is terrible. I'm going to get sick. I'm so fatalistic thinking is expecting the worst. And, you know, when we have negative expectations, let's face it, it affects all of us, our physiology, our psychology. It's very important, you know, what you hand yourself over. And if if you're <laughs> screwing your life up in 15, in 15 different ways, then you are changing yourself in, in a very negative way. And there's a price to pay. Okay, Lauren, your turn. Okay, so I've got one more here, which is the shoulds. And I hear the crowd saying, yay! The crowd? I'm just... <laughs> what are they cheering for? <laughs> because you finally oh, come to the last oh, oh, one. Oh, yes, yes, yes. We've come to the end of the ways to screw up your life. Uh, and the shoulds, which are similar to the have-tos, it's a, they're a compulsive strategy. So it's when you're attempting to control your life, you will think about all these things that you should be doing and they're kind of related to like guilt and societal expectations too um, because we believe that we should be different than we are and i think that there's a lot of danger there because we wind mm -hmm. up um, not honoring where we are and who we are yeah yeah and shoulds i, I know you're you're a proponent as most millennials are these days of the now and being present and and when you say you should be doing something what's wrong with that is that you're you're almost denying that there's anything worthwhile about the present because you should be doing something else mm -hmm. uh, i should be going to the gym means i shouldn't be sitting here on the couch so it's hard to be present if you're constantly criticizing yourself for what you really should be doing instead of what you're doing yeah i right? guess so, yes, yes, yes. So we let's see. So, so we really we really we, screwed up our lives here. We <laughs> screwed up this podcast <laughs> or that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Oh. Hey, Lauren. Yeah. You know what time it is? Oh no. Is it? Are you doing this again? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I didn't know this was gonna be a thing. Oh. No. 
Today's podcast deals with one last, I know we said that you we were done and you had finished up, but I'm going to add one last neurotic way that you can screw up your life. Good, I was hoping we'd have one more. And, and the way you do that is by starting each sentence with, if only. Ah. So here is the self-coaching podcast of the week. Podcast, pep talk. Frustrated? Stressed out? Do you find yourself lamenting, if only I had more money? If only I could lose 10 pounds? If only thinking will only accomplish one thing. It will make your current struggles seem worse. So don't make the mistake of thinking that peace of mind means that you must first escape or eliminate the stress in your life. It's important to realize that it's not stressful circumstances that bring us to our knees. It's how we react and how we feel about those circumstances that does. Serenity isn't dependent on the absence of stress. It's the peace of mind you feel in spite of the stress. Well, there you go. And that was this week's pep talk of the week. And Lauren, I'm sorry to always kind of spring these pep talks on you, but I I love to hear your giggle when uh, you hear that wonderful fight song because this is what a lot of self-coaching is about it's learning to fight the good fight and and i'm particularly fond of that fight song in fact when when i was in high school and we would have our football pep rallies i always remember that notre dame fight song and brings back lots of memories (laughs) and and then it was between then and the 15 ways that i managed not to screw up my life so so that's that's it for me this week. I don't know. Anything you'd like to add? Hmm. <laughs> that's <Hey>. it. <laughs> that's all you have to add is hmm. I have to go, I have to take some time to process what this podcast <laughs> was all about today. <laughs> I think Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, we should have changed it to 15 neurotic ways to screw up a podcast. Right. Uh, you know, there there is some anyone that has lasted this long into the podcast Play it again and pick up a few of the things that were worthwhile listening to. Just kind of skim over those things that were not worthwhile. So, Lauren, what do you think? Can we wrap it up? I think so. I got to get busy screwing up my life. So, <laughs> no, no. Now that, now that you know what not to do. Okay, yeah. All I right. See. You don't want me to review all those again, do you? <laughs> I, I got it. I've got my list. Okay. And listen, visit our selfcoaching.net website where you can learn more about our self-coaching philosophy and check out my number one best-selling books. So until next time, remember that being victimized by emotional struggle is not an option. And by definition, victims are powerless and you are not powerless. So remember, everything is hard until you make it simple. So join Lauren and me and let's make it simple together. Don't surrender, there is more than it seems. Hold on and fight, follow your heart. This is your way, love is what you make of it. Believe in yourself, reach out for your